American United is the full-service credit union for our veterans. Learn more about their 1% cashback visa with low fixed rates as well as cash back on every purchase. It's one of the ways they can give back to their members. Learn more at amucu.org. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Dave McNamee from Adobe. The, the spreadsheet nerds, the data science nerds, rule the world. They basically tell everyone else what is working and what's not working, right? And so if you're an entrepreneur, think about what metrics are you're generating with your with your enterprise, whatever it is, with your business. You know, is there something important that you should be counting and measuring? This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, special forces soldiers, CEOs, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we start, I want to tell you about this thing we're asking our friends to do. We ask them to sign up for a program that saves them money on things like their cell phone bill and plane tickets, but donates money to child rescue to combat child trafficking at the same time. They go to the website cares.savvy.com rescue and sign up. It's kind of like a Costco membership. It costs them 15 bucks a month, but saves them probably 20 to $30 a month on their cell phone bill. So they're usually anywhere from 5 bucks to 15 bucks a head per month. Plus, an additional $5 gets donated to our charity to help fight these people who are harming kids. I think it's kind of genius because our friends can donate to us and then they end up with more money for doing it. Please, if you can, check out the landing page, www.cares.savvy.com rescue. That's C-A-R-E-S-S-A-V-V-I dot com slash rescue. And see if you think it's worth your time to save every month to help these kids. Also, I want to tell you about one of our show sponsors, Bookly.co. It's the company that Zach Olson, who was on episode six, started. Not only are they our sponsor, but I use them personally for my bookkeeping for the business because they're like an amazing hybrid between accounting software, plus you get access to a real human bookkeeper to ask questions to. And they can do payroll and file my taxes too. They have plans as cheap as $99 a month and you get the first month for free. Highly recommend them. Check them out at bookly.co. That's B-O-O-K-L-Y dot C-O. Now on to the show. Um, Dave, when this is part two of the episode. Um, if you didn't catch part one, it'd be great. Go back, listen to part one, hear about the super interesting things that Dave's a part of at Adobe of allowing brands to provide a consistent contact point and, and understanding all the things about a customer as brands make decisions, how they're going to do their kind of marketing. We'll, we'll, we'll get a little more detail here in part two of the kind of things that, that those products can do. But um, when we left off on part one, we were talking about this idea of how being able to be relied on, on how having every touch point that a customer might interact with our brand, with our company, be consistent, why that could be a magnet. And I immediately thought of, um, there's this great book uh, called The Four Seasons by Isidore, I can't remember his last name, the guy who started The Four Seasons. Mm-hmm. And it, 
I felt like it was a really great look behind the curtain of how did they create an organization where at all levels of the organization, people feel the responsibility and the obligation that that customer gets a consistent experience with the Four Seasons Hotel, whether you're cleaning rooms or you're the maitre d' or everything, um, really dives into the psychology and the ups and the downs of creating that. And then also the rewards. I mean, just the, you look for not being like the gaudy over the top hotel, how they have instead spoken to what the customer really wanted, which is they wanted to leave the inconvenience of not being home. Um, and uh, there's hotel of choice constantly by people who can choose any hotel they want. Right. Um, for those of us who maybe we can, maybe we can't afford Adobe um, right now. What are ways that you think we could be thinking about that from, you know, not just a staff perspective, but a digital perspective? Yeah. Well, I think the Four Seasons example is very interesting. I, I think I'm familiar with this book um, because it started with a vision for the experience for the customer, right? What how do you want the customer to think about your brand? And then building those experiences and ensuring that every interaction that the customer has with your company is building that experience, is reinforcing that experience. And it can, it can evaporate in an instant. As soon as they have a bad experience, that can kill that uh, that perception that they have of the brand. So even before you get into any digital marketing technologies, just having that, that clear vision and stating it and reinforcing it with uh, every layer of your organization is, is critical. And then from there, as you start to layer in new touch points, whether they're digital marketing touch points or whatever they are, it, new interactions with customers, how do you you need to verify, you need to validate that the experiences that the customers are having are consistent with that brand vision. I'm, I'm just laughing here because the book you gave me, Steve Blank, right? yeah. the, the Four Steps of an Epiphany, right? this idea of get outside the building, like right. you are not going to validate anything at your own conference table. Exactly. Like it, it's, it's funny. It would be funnier if it wasn't so sad how much time and investor money has been wasted sitting around conference tables that I've sat at right. <laughs> as we convinced ourselves how smart we were. Yeah. And lost time, lost money, all sorts of things by not validating. Yeah. Um, well, why don't you talk about why you, of, of, by the way, appreciate the book. Thank you. You're welcome. And, and why you chose that one. That book. Uh, so it's a, a book uh, that is aimed at, um, identifying the specific mechanics of innovation within a startup, right? And it's it's talking about the epiphany of okay, this is the thing that we really need to provide to our marketplace, right? There's there's a iterative process of validating a, a a product idea. You start with a hypothesis and you test that hypothesis and you try to do it as cheaply as possible, right? Maybe you have uh, mockups or a presentation that kind of explains the experience to potential consumers. Anyway, and you go through this process of iterating, and if you follow it, you know by the end 
that your thing is is the thing that that customers are going to want right and with uh creating a consistent experience or with you know the example that you gave of the of the four seasons right a hotel is is a service that people understand but it's that distinctive experience that they get at four seasons that is really the product right and and so no matter what business you're in you can go through that process of iterating and discovery and uh, testing hypotheses about what customers are really going to resonate with. What the, what is the the essence of the problem that they want you to solve for them, and uh, then delivering that service to them. I I I respect uh, I respect people who are successful. Um, while still saying, well, I know better than the, than, than the customer. Because some people, the customer doesn't always know what they want. And we want innovation. The world needs... Like a balance beam, huh? Yeah, it's a balance. And I, I, I think that there's, there's room for innovation in really any space, right? You're seeing disruption happen in virtually every industry right now. But, um, but ultimately, we're delivering something to someone who's going to pay us for it. And we have to... They have to understand what they're getting, right? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, I, like one of those for me, I was sure long-form interviews for this was going to be just fine. No, no, no. Hour, two hours, it'll be fine. If we've got good content, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a, you know, listen it two times or three times kind of guy, and I, I just got this, you know, endurance for audio content, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, and it's funny, like... We, we we got listenership, we we did well, but we didn't make it onto that front page of iTunes until I took advice from feedback from listeners saying, it'd be really great if I could get through a whole show on my commute because I want to listen to the rest of it, but I just I don't have quite that much time in a week to do it all. And uh, and it really shut up. I mean, um, right. you know, now we've had 120,000 downloads of the show and you know, a lot of that. I mean, we had almost 50,000 downloads last month after the show wow. went to our, you know, you know, 20, 25 minute right. type segment where somebody can get through it on a commute. And, um, you know, there's other things that I, I did end up being right about of this, like, hey, I want to have this crazy mix of guests that, you know, besides being awesome at what they do, really don't have anything in common. Right. And other, I got some sideways looks from a few folks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so some of it panned out and, and others didn't like people didn't want to listen to two and a half hour podcast <laughs> episodes, right? at least for me, you know? Yeah. Um, so it is a balance of the, like, you know, the quote about Henry Ford said, if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Right. 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 Versus the, at what point does it turn into arrogance of not paying attention to what the customer, yeah. like, it's like this idea of you make a lot of more, like what makes more money selling customers what they should want or selling customers what they do want. Yeah. And also there's enough opportunity in the world to solve problems for customers, problems that they know that they have that, you know, and sure, go ahead and, and innovate if you want, go, go try something. If you've got uh, a burr under your saddle to, to change the world in some significant way. I mean, that's, it's happening a lot right now. This is a very, a time of very rapid change. Um, 
But my perspective is that it's funner. It's more fun for me to understand what the customer wants and to, to work with them and delivering it. And in the business that, that we're in, there is some education that we're doing for brands. Like we're, we're trying to help them understand that they need this, this uh, data-driven marketer, this persona that doesn't, that sometimes exists within brands and sometimes it doesn't. So there's some education that we have to do, but ultimately they know that they have to deliver a consistent experience to their consumers. And that's what's really driving them. Yeah. Um, I, I just keep thinking about that. Uh, look, the guy who wrote the big short wrote that book, Moneyball. Right. And um, it's killing me. I can't remember his name right now because I really love his books. But, yeah. I can't remember him right now either. Um, but uh, you know, got made into the Brad Pitt movie. And I, as you're talking, I'm just seeing the Jonah Hill character in my mind. Right. The kid who figured out the, the stats of baseball and how you could buy runs. Yeah. And I feel like that is kind of an analogy for marketing right now, this difference between it used to be yes. like all the kids I went to art school with, a whole bunch of them ended up doing marketing. Actually, one of my, one of my really good friends from art school we had on the show, Amy Stellhorn, and she does marketing for big, you know, fortune fortune 10 brands you know huge brands right yeah um but she's really had to pick up the ball because she came from you know she would say this herself she came from the creative side and the graphic design side right and now she's got to worry about metrics right right absolutely and um so i guess this is what's exciting to me is like my inner investor feels like man the inefficiency of the market can be so exploited if you can get the jonah hill from Moneyball, right <laughs> data marketer right you can hack the system a bit of just it's not it's not hacking the system it's like it's just discovering what's there right and that's the thing companies have the data sets it's sitting in their databases it's sitting in their data warehouses it's sitting in the services that they're buying they have the data sets and many of them are spending millions and millions of dollars in hiring very expensive data science people to try to stitch together what's going on with their consumers and that's that's really like that's the opportunity that we that we see at Adobe is um, how do we make that turnkey for them? How do we make it easy for them? How do we make it so that the data sets that are being generated by the various touch points that they have with consumers through the various channels that those data sets come together to create a holistic picture of of their customer and what their customer wants? So it's it's pretty exciting, but it it comes back to the Jonah Hill character. And that's the thing. The, the spreadsheet nerds, the data science nerds rule the world. They basically tell everyone else what is working and what's not working, right? And so if you're an entrepreneur, think about what metrics are you're generating with your, with your enterprise, whatever it is, with your business. You know, is there something important that you should be counting and measuring? validate that like kind of look at if it's a leading indicator of success or or whatever right um it, it's thinking about um how you quantifiably view the world is an exercise that has value for basically any size of business it's like the warren buffett investment approach to marketing yeah right? uh by the way that's michael lewis the guy we yes. think of right michael lewis. um he by the way he had a the you brought him out um, and it was such an entertaining talk. The guy was so um, 
he was funny and he was engaging, but he didn't show up like I'm a big deal. Yeah. It made it so fun to listen to him. I mean, the guy who just, you know, crowded, packed house, had everybody laughing when he wanted him to laugh. And, and he was the guy being interviewed. It wasn't like a keynote speech or something. Wow, that's you know? cool. Um, yeah, really interesting guy. And he's, he's a storyteller, right? And he's uh, identifying these significant stories that are taking place in our culture in the market. Right. And, um, you know, that's, that's another key takeaway, right? You've got the, the quantitative analysis of what's going on and storytelling. Both of them are critical. And in fact, one drives the other, right? You take that quantitative analysis and you look at the numbers and you're able to tell a story. You're able to say, Hey, look, looking at these, um, baseball statistics no more crystal ball needed i'm able to tell you i'm telling you a story that you can buy runs right you bid on this guy get this guy on the team because he's going to drive our statistics up and it's it's quantifiably proven and um michael lewis is doing the same thing with his books right there's i mean obviously there's more story to it than than quantitative analysis but there's always some foundation of like this is this is what happened with this particular financial instrument, which resulted in, you know, this inflation of the housing market, you know, that, that whole story of the big short. Uh, so, and that the same thing is true in marketing, right? That's, that's what is driving marketing today is analysis and storytelling. So uh, shifting gears here a bit, um, you know, we've got a lot of friends who, who have served, that either help us out at child rescue or do other stuff with us. We had um, 23 year special forces medic guarantee on, on the show recently. Talk about the value to your career and your life of spending eight years in the Marines. Yeah. Well, first I have to clarify. I was a reservist. Okay. So for, I, I need to need to be clear about that, but um, I joined the Marines because I was bored after high school. And also because my maternal grandfather was a Marine in world war II. And I wanted to do something hard. I hadn't really done anything hard in my life. Uh, and so it was hard. It was the first hard thing that I'd ever tried. And, and uh, it changed me significantly. It taught me that, uh, that discomfort for a purpose is worth it. Um, it taught me that um, there are obstacles, both literal and metaphorical, that... Uh, that I may judge to be impossible, are actually possible. I can do those things, um, and so that that really helped me um, as I as I progressed through life uh, and uh, went to college and you know started my work life. Um, it, it made it easy to to kind of say, you know, I can do that. Um, I was, I guess, fortunate. I, I have to say, fortunate, but part of me thinks that I was unfortunate that I was in the Marines during between the Gulf Wars, essentially. So I was never deployed, never shot at, never fired a, a round in anger. Um, but it was still an experience that I'll, that I'll cherish and that I still, I still cherish. And if my children want to do it, um, unfortunately for their mom, I'm going to support them in that. You know, um, Previous, you know, at my when I was working for that consulting firm, they let me be the director for the Special Operations Command. 
intelligence agencies practice, right? So I went to Naval Special Warfare in California, out to D.C. And um, it's interesting because so much of my experience with that community, I, both my grandpa served in World War II, my, my father-in-law was in the Army, 82nd Airborne, but um, I hadn't had as much personal experience with the community. Mm-hmm. And um, going to all these bases and going to Nigerians, sharing a room with a with a force recon marine and a seal, you know, yeah. like this cramped room and like like really like spending like countless hours hanging out with these guys all the time. It was funny because they reminded me so much of my snowboard buddies and, yeah. and my neighborhood friends who they got concerns about kids getting in in school and um, they want to do this sport and, and stuff for fun and what car are you driving. There was this whole other thing that was completely disconnected from like the me, me, me investment banking community. I, yeah. finance world that I'd spent a decade in and the, the entrepreneur of how much money am I going to make and am I going to buy the Bugatti or the, or the Ferrari, La Ferrari, you know, right? Right. And it's not like these guys don't like nice stuff, but there was this, <clears throat> this like inner sense of duty mm-hmm. uh, that I'm having a little bit of a hard time putting words to, but this, this thing of like uh, life is about more than just me. Right. It is like a positive peer pressure amongst all of them, it feels like. Yeah. And um, I feel like there's a real value to the rest of society and to corporate America from that mentality that hasn't necessarily gotten out as much as I hope it could. Um, yeah. Do you feel like that's been a benefit to you, spending time in that environment, yeah, in that osmosis kind of? Absolutely. And that, um, you know, that starts from the first day of boot camp. Uh, when you show up to Marine Corps boot camp, one of the first things they tell you is that you can no longer use the word I. It's no longer I. It's this recruit. And that reinforces the fact that, that you're kind of a part of a bigger machine uh, and that you're the, the recruits and then later on the Marines that are around you are going to depend on you. So it is, you know, it is duty to core and country that is instilled in Marines in particular. Um, and I'm sure in the other services as well. Uh, and that's something that I value. That's, that is a brotherhood that cannot be taken away from me. And it was one of the main reasons why, despite the fact that it would have represented danger, when 9-11 happened, it was really, really hard for me to not re-enlist. I was married at the time. I was, you know, kind of deep into work. Um, but I felt that that connection to the Marines that I served with, who ended up getting deployed to both Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, so it's it's a it's a powerful thing, and I can see it in the kids that I work with, like I, I like graphic designers and programmers that work for me that are in their 20s and they just, they don't have that. There's not that, they haven't had that experience. And I, to be fair to them, if they were to go through that kind of training, I'm sure they would see that value. They would, you know, they're, they're good people. They just haven't had the experience to, to learn the value of that type of camaraderie. Well, I, I, you know, I look at how many guys, especially in the special operations command, community um which i think of, of all the services the marines are closest to the mentality of like well there's something hard let's we we let's want to do it there's something hard and risky we want to take that on right, right right um so many of them end up in entrepreneurship 
I mean, yes. sure, there's lots going on security jobs and these kind of things, right? But um, I, I think that there is this interesting value proposition that people don't understand that can be provided by that type of experience of like dealing with uncertainty. And right. I feel like, you know, I look at these books by Stephen Pressfield, kind of historical fiction books and stuff like this. He talks about the Spartans and Gates mm-hmm. of Fire, stuff like that. Right. And um, there's terrible language, so I can't recommend it to anyone. But, <laughs> um, but I know that's a book that gets read by a ton of Marines. Yeah. And uh, like I have some buddies who were in those, like literally the first Humvees that those mar- Marines, when they were punching into Iraq, the actual first Humvees in Iraq. Right. Right. One of my buddies was in like the fourth one. Right. Yeah. And I think about this idea of, I almost feel like this idea of like hardening the mind against yeah. pain and fear to do what you think is right, independent of fear. Right. To do what you think is right, independent of pain. Yes. What a value for people who are trying to invent the future and invent yeah. a company. Yeah. Yeah. That mentality, um, has served me well throughout my career. Uh, and it's made it a lot more fun, which is kind of ironic. Like when, when we're having discussions about what to do next with our product set, um, I know that there isn't really any real danger in speaking the truth. There's no real danger. It's possible that I may get fired, but that's not real danger. You know, I've, I've left jobs before, I've been laid off before, and I'm not going to get shot at or anything like that. So, so speaking the truth openly is it's it's actually served me well in my in my career. And I learned that through the Marines. I learned how to uh, just be straightforward in what I thought needed to be done and also to not uh to not just assume that a problem is someone else's job to fix. You know, there's, we need to be, um, if there's a problem in front of us, we need to, to try to help solve it, right? And that's that's another thing that's helped me a lot in my career. And I, um, not all Marines come out with that mentality, right? But it is something that 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 is just under the surface of, of all of us. Um. Listing off the family members there, I forgot to mention that my wife's grandpa, my wife's grandpa, who we just at his house in Sacramento, is also a Marine. Nice. And uh, he's got like a 12-inch Marine sticker on the back of this back windshield of the truck. He's got, nice. He's got the Marines only parking in front of the house. He's well, you, you know, he's you got a proud Marine. You got to have that stuff. That's, <laughs> that's fun. Um, shifting gears here, uh, we always like to ask people who set a good example for you early in your career how to treat others is there anybody that comes to mind early in life yeah so i um i have to give a shout out to the guy that hired me out of college his name was gene puckett um, and he was a director at what was then called the division of information technology services for the state of utah and uh gene and i uh, I think he hired me because I did mortars in the Marines and he did mortars in the army. So he, uh, you know, we, we, we hit it off quite well, but he was always kind. He was supportive. Um, he would nudge me in the right direction. I mean, I was fresh out of college and he would nudge me in the right direction. Um, and, uh, and it was just, I, I observed him 
and his kindness towards others. And I wanted to emulate that. Um, now, there, there are a couple of different kinds of role models that I've looked up to in, in the past. You know, Gene is a role model of how to treat other people. And then there are role, mod, role models of just sheer competency. You know, there have been several of those throughout my career where I've just been amazed at their grasp of the subject matter at hand and their uh, expertise in whatever it was that they were a practitioner of um, and their confidence in their craft. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I try to, to provide that kind of mentorship to others in, in my career now um, and, uh, you know, fall short sometimes. But, but uh, it's, it's those examples of uh, both kindness and competency that have really influenced me. Sure. Um, I appreciate that sharing that. Um, another direction here, asking advice for child rescue. Right. You know, we've got this new program with Savvy where somebody goes to cares.savvy.com slash rescue. They've got this thing. They buy the Costco membership type, <laughs> type situation, ends up saving them money, you know, overall. Um, so I'm pretty stoked on it. We were talking about it before the show mm -hmm. started. And, and for anybody who wants to check it out, that's C-A-R-E-S dot S-A-V-V-I dot com slash rescue. So to me, like, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, it takes a bit of time to, to switch your cell phone plan over or whatever, right? But you pay the 15 bucks, you save 20 bucks or more kind of thing, and some money goes to a charity who's helping fight child trafficking, right? We still need to get the word out. You know, I, I, it's in seven years we've been doing this charity stuff. It's for sure the best fundraising program we've ever had of showing up and saying, we want to lower your bills. And by the way, it'll help save kids. Right. So fundamentally, it's the best product we've ever been a part of as a fundraising product. Mm -hmm. But we still have to get the word out. or We still have to get people a part of it. Um, any, uh, any advice that you would have for us of driving traffic to a, to a landing page like that? Yeah. I mean... What, what you're doing here is obviously useful, right? You're getting the word out through the podcast. But um, the, the thing that I think would, be, uh, that would help drive traffic is identifying influencers, identifying social media influencers. There are different ways to do that that you know, some of them are, are more straightforward than others. Uh, but getting influencers to, to try it first so that they can then uh, recommend it to their followers. Simple, straightforward, but it takes a lot of legwork, right? Um, aside from that, uh, you know, the listeners, listeners of this podcast uh, would probably benefit from um, email newsletter and uh, invitations to, to participate in the email newsletter. Um, you know, it, marketing is kind of a function of budget too, right? So if, if there's, if there's a, um, if you can set aside some budget, uh, you know, there are ways to expand your reach with marketing activities, um, ways to just, just going through the litany of digital marketing things. There's probably things that you can do with each of them in terms of SEO, in terms of keyword buys, there are probably some uh, uh, some keyword buys that you could do that that might 
capitalize on people fat fingering various searches and you know there there are different tricks to get more exposure with with keyword buys so i would i would invest time in all of those channels and just trying to make headway in each of them um and trying to get get those influencers talking about the, the program as well. Um, another thing, uh, you know, there, there are news organizations, so-called news organizations are always looking for content, right? And, um, you know, I think sometimes a, a phone call to a, a local TV station to say, hey, this thing's going on. You know, I've got this, this way to, help rescue children, uh, that's a, uh, something that I think would be very attractive to the local shows. And, you know, that could expand as well, right? There's, you could build on that success. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, listen, um, appreciate how much time you spent with us. Um, any closing advice you'd have for people who they want to move past guess, guesswork marketing into data marketing? Any just closing advice? you know, blogs they should be reading, books they should be reading, principles they should be following, just anything comes to mind for you of people who want to, that's a skill set that they want to build as an internal capability, what you'd recommend? Yeah, so there are uh, various certifications for web analytics, both for Adobe and the other guys that start with the G and end with Google, um, that... Uh, and there's there's a lot of information online that's just available uh, in, in both both of the major web analytics tools. I think just understanding what reporting your current systems provides, and like really understanding like what is this telling me about what's happening in this particular channel, and then trying to take action to influence those metrics. Um, run, run some experiments, even if they're small, run some experience experiments, even if they're small. And, you know, there, there's lots that you can learn online about digital marketing. There's, there are lots of associations. Um, I'm not super impressed with, with any of them really, but they're, they have content for those that are starting out. Um, so like the, uh, uh, digital advertising association, um, but uh, so they have content to help. But just the best way to learn is to start digging in, right? To start looking at the numbers that you're generating with your business and trying to move the needle and seeing what works. Like you learn more about that than you will reading any book. Um, now there are some good books that are out there too. Um, I I came here kind of prepared to talk about product management books and not necessarily digital. So but tell us what tell us one or two of those that are worth reading. So the the best book on product management it's it's probably even better than that um, epiphany book that I gave you uh, is a book called Inspired by Marty Kagan. And if if someone wants to make a transition, maybe they're in a web development or software development now, and they want to become a product manager. Understanding the content of that book and being able to describe it successfully will serve you very well in an interview to become a product manager. And it's something that I, I give to every new team member. I have extra copies at my desk to, to try to get people to understand what product management actually is. Because it's happening all over the place, and people don't really understand it. 
and even product managers who have been doing it for a long time, I, I think, uh, miss some of the principles that, that Marty talks about. That's my favorite. Okay. That's great. We'll appreciate the time you spent with us. You bet. It's my pleasure. End it there. Thanks. And that's the show. Thanks again for listening. Again, if you want to help us combat child trafficking and rescue kids from predators, give us some aftercare help. The best way to do that today is to go to cares.savvy, which is S-A-V-V-I dot com slash rescue. Cares.savvy dot com slash rescue. You can sign up for the program. It ends up putting you money ahead, saving money on things like your cell phone bill, and also donates to our charity to help rescue these kids. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.375%, APR 4.65%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 2.13% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 30. 30.